This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. First topic I'd like to bring up, Sarah, I've headlined, Need More Rangers. Uh, This program, as I just said, is heard on Magic 590 and 100.5 in Albany. But now we're also heard farther north in the Glens Falls Lake George region at 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. And you recently did a column advocating for more forest rangers in the Adirondack Park, especially in the high peaks. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what's the need there? Well, there are two things. Uh, there's been a increase in, that's in, the, in the number of rescues that these rangers are doing. So almost one a day, uh, they're going out to rescue hikers who get into trouble while mm-hmm. they're out in the high peaks. Um, if you've ever done any hiking in the high peaks, you know that the high peaks are are challenging. And I think with this tourism boom where the Adirondacks are seeing a lot more more visitors, you're getting more hikers who are who are probably unprepared. They've heard this is a fun to go hiking in the Adirondacks. They don't mm-hmm. always know what they're they're getting into and. And the rangers who a lot of, you know, they have a number of different duties, one of which includes hiker education, you know, they're overworked. They don't have as much time to kind of educate the new hiker who's going out into the woods. Um, they're they're focused on, on rescues a lot of the time and, and dealing with parking overcrowding and, and having a few more of them on the ground could help alleviate uh, some of these situations. Mm-hmm. Also, the Adirondacks have added a lot more land, so they just have more ground to cover. Mm. Um, that's That contributes to that, too. There's just a lot more, you know, the state has added, I can't remember the number, but just a lot more land that um, fall into the Adirondack uh, forest. Uh, but, of course, this would cost money. Is there any magic source of revenue for this? Oh, uh, well, I don't know if there's a magic source of revenue. I always think if you look at the state budget, you can find things that— <laughs> <laughs> that you could cut. That. I mean, I think the example I use in the column is if you know if the state can come mm. up with sixteen million dollars to build a nice welcome center as as visitors head into mm-hmm. the Adirondacks, you know, there's probably some money you could find to oh, yeah, fund the personnel. That. Yeah, they I mean, you, you can find examples of center, yeah. yeah, the state digging into the budget and funding you know all kinds of things or the front. I didn't mention this. There's that. Um, plan to redevelop Frontier Town, that property, you know, if we can promote that redevelopment and provide some funding for it, you know, why can't we add a few rangers? I have maybe a personal angle on this. A few years ago, my daughter and son-in-law, who do hiking uh, quite a lot, maybe more then than than now, um, my uh, daughter had a fall and her, her knee was dislocated. Her husband kind of put it back. And they were walking out, where they were in touch with the ranger, and eventually he came and uh, took the, took her in a, mm-hmm. a four wheel drive vehicle for a while. So they really do their work up there. They do their work, and they, I mean, they put especially the winter rescues that we sometimes see that make the news. I mean, they they put their own well being at risk, um, you know, to do this. So I mean, it's it is a hard job and a lot to to ask, and I think increasing their numbers would. Uh, just would help the overall situation. Let me bring up drunken driving. There were three alleged uh, drunken driving cases involving public officials of local and state government recently, and you wondered in a column why we don't take drunken driving more seriously. 
What, what can be done? Well, there is um, there is a bill uh, that would you know strengthen the penalties. I mean, whether that would um, deter all of these people who think it's okay to or get behind the wheel when they're inebriated, I you know I don't know, but I think we could start by you know tougher penalties that make it harder for people to you know plead down to you know, a violation or some, you know, something that's the equivalent of a, you know, a parking ticket for, you know, an activity that does put people's lives at risk if you Mm -hmm. engage in it. I would say that's one thing that could be done. Um, I think a larger project would be, you know, how can we make it easier for people to get where they need to go without actually driving a a car? But that's a yeah. I didn't even get into that. That's kind of like a long-term project about like how do you change like our built environment and I don't see it happening anytime soon. But I think right now, you know, unless you're a public official, you know, if you're a public official and you're caught driving while drunk, you'll end up in the newspaper and, and you'll be humiliated. But the average person, I think, who does this, they might end up in a police blotter. Mm-hmm. There's not, you know, the consequences I don't think are are that great, you know? I mean, the loss of license, I mean, Carmela Mantello, who, the Troy Council president who allegedly followed a man in her car for about Mm. 30 miles while she was intoxicated, which sounds like a serious offense. You know, I'm trying to remember what she pled down to. I think she lost her license for 90 days and maybe it was a misdemeanor charge. I mean, when I look at what she did, it, it all sounds more serious mm-hmm. than that. Like maybe you should lose your license for more than 90 days if you are accused of <laughs> you know, if you're um if you plead to following someone who's, you know, th- for 30 miles while you're drunk. The uh, felony designation is worse <laughs> than misdemeanor. Is is did you describe that there or mention that there's a movement to raise the any drunken driving conviction to a felony? Yeah, there is. Uh, I don't know if it's any, but it would raise a lot more of them to a felony. There's mm-hmm. a bill that proposes doing that. There's another movement, which I didn't mention, to raise the blood alcohol content so that, you know, a greater number of people would be, you know, they would fail the breathalyzer test right. under the under the higher standard. And I also think that probably that's probably a good idea, too. Let's talk about marijuana. Yeah, another substance. <laughs> another substance. And you had a column on the downside of legalizing pot uh, mm-hmm. for recreational uh, purposes in uh, New York State, which appears to be a real possibility this year. And um, one of the downsides would be uh, more impaired driving, would it not? Uh, it appears to be. I mean, again, we don't have a ton of research, but we do have um, – a bit more that's beginning to come from the states that have uh, legalized recreational marijuana. And well, you know, my opinion is there are a lot of reasons to do this. You know, one, I think, potentially significant downside would be, yes, an increase in um, drug driving. And also one of the challenges, I think, is that the technology, from my understanding, to test people is yeah. not where it should be. You know, we have the breathalyzer test. It doesn't sound like there's an easy test for, for marijuana, marijuana and that you would have to train all officers and then, you know, how to recognize these signs. You know, there would be more training for police officers so that they could um, recognize uh, when people are under the influence of something like uh, marijuana. So, I mean, just looking at those states, there was one um, study that came out. And again, we do need more information that 
you know, in uh, Washington and Oregon, you know, accidents that involved the police response had increased 5.2 percent. And, you know, there wasn't a corresponding increase in neighboring states that hadn't increased marijuana. So, I mean, it does raise some questions. And I've seen articles in the Denver Post. Colorado is another state that legalized recreational marijuana, you know, suggesting that there has Mm -hmm. been an increase in drug driving accidents. So obviously that's not something we want to see if we do it here. On the plus side, the proponents of legalizing recreational marijuana say it'll make a lot of money for the state. Yeah, I think it will make some money for the state. I think um, I think people might be exaggerating how much money it will make, but it will definitely create a new revenue stream that could be, I think, you know, good for the state to have. I mean, I think there's a larger question of like, should we do this or not? That should be answered regardless. You know, it shouldn't just hinge on whether we get a bunch of money, but mm. um, you know, if it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. But yeah, there could be a nice new revenue stream that's created, and I think that's. What a lot more states are actually beginning to look at, the fact that, you know, states like Colorado and Washington, you know, they're collecting money that they're using to, you know, fund services for people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a benefit. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. You're listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5 in Albany. Now also available in the Glens Falls Lake George region at 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. Hope for a happier year. Uh, One of your columns near the new year uh, pointed to your own worries over being a relatively new parent. You have a son, I think he's about a year old. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he's almost a year. (laughs) Almost a year. Uh, But you put yourself in the happy corner anyway, uh, maybe in large part because of that. You have a son who's a year old. However, studies show that American life expectancy took an unexpected decline in some recent studies, and young people and older people are subject to despair. What can we do about that? I don't know what we can do about it. Um, it's sort of a confounding problem and sort of unprecedented that in at a time when you have you know low unemployment, some pretty good um, things going on in the economy, that this would be happening. So what can we do about it? I mean, I think if you look beneath the surface, you see that there are a lot of people who are, you know, struggling, perhaps financially, perhaps just to balance, you know, what's demanded of them at work. Maybe they're working too much. I mean, how do we become a happier society where some of that stress, you know, is is alleviated and people can enjoy living their lives and finding meaning in them. I'm, you know, I'm not sure how you do that, but I think uh, the strain, you know, part of what we're seeing is people who are, who are struggling uh, to get by. You know, there's a study that often gets cited that, you know, the average, you know, whatever percentage of Americans, it's quite high, you know, couldn't come up with $400 tomorrow to pay off a sudden emergency Mm. expense. And, you know, $400 is and if the, there's that many people who just don't have that amount to to pull out of the savings account, if, you know, an unexpected expense, if you end up at the doctor's when you don't expect it and it costs a certain amount of money, you know, I mean, that I think points to a certain level of strain and, and anxiety that a lot of people are probably experiencing. Mm-hmm. So how you um, create a society where more people are 
you know, financially, uh, feeling more financially secure without those worries are alleviated. You know, it might be, that might be a start. I mean, there's other information out there about, you know, what percentage of Americans just feel lonely. Like they don't Mm -hmm. have close friends and, you know, what, why don't people have close friends or why do they feel lonely? Is it something about the way we live and work? You know, is the emphasis on working too great where people don't have time or don't feel like they have the energy to go out and socialize with Mm. you know the people who would be their friends i know having a child i mean it is a lot more effort just to make those social plans when you're trying to balance being at work and and dealing with the baby you know it's it's tiring you don't always feel like you have the energy to call up a friend and say hello so and there's also screen time people around there oh yeah the screens yep so that's a factor too probably minimum wage and automation which relates to work of course you did a column on two related topics automation in the workplace and the minimum wage and I learned something that, Colin, because I've never encountered what you encountered. You encountered a self-service McDonald's? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's basically what we encountered. It was, you know, you could order your meals on sort of a screen on a kiosk, and they had an employee there. I think this must have been a relatively new switch to assist you if you had never used um, that p- type of machine before. And, you know, McDonald's has been doing this throughout the country. They've been introducing this uh, self-service technology um as i said it's not i'd rather just order from a person i kind of hate fiddling with machines when i don't have to (laughs) right well i I feel the same way like i i avoided at supermarkets i do i avoided at supermarkets but but i've been told and i don't that some of the big markets even uh like late at night say they're open after midnight Mm -hmm. that that's all they've got they they have a yeah i don't know if i've ever encountered a market where it's all they have i have been to supermarkets where yes there may be you know a small maybe just one cashier and then Mm. there's a lot of self uh, service lanes well and this automation i presume you know has replaced some employees as it has in other well, it industries. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't immediately clear because it did sound like McDonald's was making the case that they introduced these machines because it was more efficient, they could serve more people, but that it hadn't caused a lot of job losses, that mm. these people had been deployed in other ways. Um and I can't remember all those ways. Sure. Obviously the guy who was just standing there assisting people, he was still He was still there. He was still and the other part of the column was about the minimum wage, which is going up in uh, in New York State. Yes, it that- go, it's going up. I mean, it's going up to different amounts in different places. I think the most significant thing is that, you know, it will hit $15 an hour this year in New York City, um, which is what you know, activists were really pushing for with the Fight for 15 campaign. So they phased it in over the course of several years, but in New York City it will be $15 an hour um, in 2019, and then it will increase more slowly in, um, is it Long Island, Westchester Mm -hmm. County, and then upstate we're supposed to eventually get there, but I think after this year, I think after next year it's tied to kind of like a review by the Department of Labor, so... Employers or many employers, you know, wring their hands about this. Right. They don't like to be told they have to increase uh, wages. Um, You know, and I think obviously we can't, 
you couldn't set a minimum wage of $50 per hour, that would obviously lead to some job losses. You you do eventually get to a point where the minimum wage is too high, but it's when you get down to 12, 11, you know, it's unclear where the point really comes. I think there's a lot of conflicting research. You know, where does that point, mm-hmm. where do you hit that point where the job losses really begin? And I think, again, it's a different type of economy, but some of the information from Seattle, which has gone to the $15 minimum wage, has been encouraging. I mean, that's a very, mm-hmm. uh, you know, robust economy, but it sounds like their restaurant industry has been growing. And that's often what people look at to see, Mm. you know, what's the impact of raising the minimum wage or is the restaurant industry losing jobs. So again, I think it's always worth watching what happens, especially upstate. I feel like I talk to small employers who I find credible, who do talk about the strain of, uh, of the minimum wage increases. So- let me ask you about something specific involving uh, a neighborhood in Schenectady, uh, Mount, Mount Pleasant neighborhood, the Mount Pleasant Merchants. You did a column on efforts to uh, revitalize Crane Street, which is sort of the thoroughfare that goes through uh, Mount Pleasant, which is a community that's uh, had its problems over the years. In fact, they're even talking about renaming it to Engine Hill. Right. They want to do sort of a rebranding where they call it Engine Hill and there is some interesting history there where it was like the first was the first train, train to go yeah, between Albany to Schenectady. Yeah. You would know better than <laughs> I. Uh, but uh, that was... Must have gone there. Right. Yes. And there's like a plaque that um, honors that history. And uh, it, it is a neighborhood that's fallen on hard times. I mean, one of the things I felt was interesting is that when you visit, sure, you see some of these problems. You see sort of the blighted buildings and the litter and... You know, there's people loitering, and you can see how it creates a perception issue and a lot of vacant storefronts. At the same time, they do still have a pretty good infrastructure that you don't always find in some of these neighborhoods that have fallen on mm-hmm. hard times. There's a Trusco Bank branch there, I believe. There's a number mm-hmm. of, you know, small restaurants. There's, I Isn't think there it might... A, a library? Isn't yeah, there? well, there's, yeah, and they, they're getting a new library. That's mm-hmm. an investment. They're getting a new Boys and Girls Club. That's another good investment. So... I mean, there is some potential there that with um, some funding, they want to create a bid like a business improvement district type structure to do, I think, you know, a good comparison might be Central Avenue and Albany to, you know, focus on, you know, talking with the city about different issues that the street is facing. It sort of serve as a liaison with some of these groups and, um and get the street cleaned up, get more, maybe more of a regular police presence there, mm-hmm. and just, you know, someone who can actively go out and maybe recruit people to come into some of those vacant storefronts. They have some good eateries there. I know there's a place yep. to get hot dogs. It's pretty it's Yeah, good, yeah. and I went to, um, it was like a, a restaurant, Spanish-American cuisine, Mari's, and I went to the Fish Fry. That's been there a long time, which I, I don't know that I'll go there a lot because it, it's so much fried food, but, you know, it was very good, good fried fish. Um, <laughs> I think I had a shrimp bladder and uh, might be like a kind of Jamaican or Caribbean restaurant. And yeah, you know, you could go there. You can go there and get a good lunch and a good affordable lunch. So they definitely have, I think, some pieces to kind of build on. Yeah, to build on. Yeah. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. 
Today's program is available online at albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. Next Sunday's guest will be Phil Barrett, Clifton Park Town Supervisor. Listen to Talk of the Town next Sunday at 6.30 in the morning on Magic 590 and 100.5 in Albany, plus on 14.10 a.m. and 96.9 f.m. in the Glens Falls, Lake George region. I'm Bob Cudmore.